Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most five-thumbed podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George DeMarellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have a writer and recent author, Tom Mitchell. How are you doing, Tom? Hey George, how are you going? I'm good, I'm good. You know, no complaints here, just chugging along, surviving. Surviving and thriving, that seems to be the theme of the past 12 months. Exactly, well, the former more than the latter, <laughs> but yes, I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll claim both. Um, what's, uh, how's, how's life for you? Yeah, no, I'm, I, I live in Sydney. Uh, I'm currently sitting in, I'm actually currently living in my grandfather's old house. So I'm sitting in the, I guess what you you call the rumpus room. Is that still a thing? And uh, it's like a big ethnic mansion. Um, It's like columns, the whole situation. All right. What what is your, uh, what's your background? Uh, So my dad is Greek. Oh. Yeah. I live in Brighton, the Sands, which is, I'm not sure if you know, but it's near the airport. It's kind of like. Yeah, full of Greeks. I love it. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll try to avoid this podcast turning into us just vibing over being Greek for a bit because, uh, you know, it's <laughs> meant to be a bookish podcast. But are you half Greek? Like, is your mum were Anglo? I guess. Yeah, my mum's. Yeah, my mum. Yeah, my mum's Anglo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, kind of got the, the the mix there, which is good. I think if you were gonna, this will be the last point I'll make on the, on Greece, and then we can move on. But I think if you are gonna, if you're gonna pick it, you probably like the Greek fathers an intense vibe. So I, I almost reckon it's better to have a Greek mother, but, you know, what can you do? Greek mums love their sons, so I'm, I'm with you, 100%. <laughs> it's the best. Um, the, okay, so, so could you speak any, like, a second language? Like, did you feel that Greekness at all growing up or not really? I don't know what it's like there in Sydney, in Brighton, Los Angeles. Is it, like, that kind of vibe or is it whatever? Yeah, no, it's – also, I didn't actually grow up in Brighton. I grew up in a place that definitely made me feel Greek. So I grew up in the Sutherland Shire, like Cronulla. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know most famous most famous for its race riots uh, and love <laughs> and lovely beaches, but it's funny because like I often say this to my wife who's like very Anglo, but going to school like especially nowadays being Greek is like no one bats an eyelid, and not that you know it was that different back when I was at school, but definitely like I went to a, a public school and I reckon I was like probably the only Greek or even like it was predominantly very super white, and so. I definitely remember like hearing the wog thing and I was so confused. I was like, I couldn't believe it was being discussed. So yeah, I think like going to school in the Shire, I was definitely aware of that, 
you know, I was Greek and there was... And what do you mean the wog thing being discussed? Well, like just, just the, the use of the wog word at school and stuff. Like, I, I remember people using it in relation to me and then I being so confused that, like, I was being singled out for being... Because, like, being Greek is... I don't know. It's a, it's a funny one. Yeah, no, I... Uh, again, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting... We're very recently white compared to white people. We're very... Yeah. We're, we're very recent additions to the club compared to... Uh, yeah. Yeah. There was a time when they were you were different, and people would use slurs on you. This thing was though, like with the so with the race riots, that was I think two thousand and six. And I was like, do you remember them? It was all over like the newspapers and everything. Like it was oh, a yeah, big yeah. kind of like cultural flashpoint. And I was in the, my my final year of high school, and I went to high school in the area. So it was like, and you know what it's like when when you're in high school, everyone like you're kind of bereft of things to talk about really. So when like a national news stories happening like in your area it's big it's like a big talking point and there was messages circulating like text messages circulating around the, the Sutherland Shire like like almost like a call to arms being like hey everyone get down to Cronulla this Saturday like you know we're reclaiming our land whatever but then at the same time there were other messages circulating being like you know like if you're ethnic like get down there and defend our honor and stuff like that and I, I got both messages <laughs> So I received both both messages. So I was like so confused as to what to do. I was like, look, I'm just going to avoid it. What do you mean confused about what to do? <laughs> I just went down there and, and beat myself up. No, I was I obviously was never going to attend, but it was more like this is such a weird thing to be. And like, because I was getting messages from not people I knew. It was like random messages just being circulated to people. So I don't know how I ended up on these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, my friends were messaging me, like, let's get down there. It was more just like people were receiving text messages. That's wild. What a, what a different time. It was very, it was a strange time. People wouldn't even understand that. There was race riots on the beach in Cronulla. The mid-noughties. Wild. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's it. In your final year of high school, that's a formative experience right there, I got to say. I definitely know what you're saying. So you're second generation, I guess, immigrant on that side. Do you, uh, you have any brothers and sisters? Yes, I have. So my brother and sister are twins. They're older than me. They're four years older. Mm. And, uh... Your fam's tight-knit? Uh, yeah, pretty tight-knit. Like, no, they are. So my parents split when I was in year 10. And then my dad kind of moved just into the city or whatever. But we're, we're actually, we're super tight-knit. And it's funny because having, having twin siblings, you expect them to be like, you know how the twin thing is always like, they have this kind of like otherworldly connection and, you know, they finish each other's sentences and stuff. And But it's funny because we're all very much equally as close as with one another, um, which is good. But it was definitely strange growing up being, like, the odd one out. Um, but I think also the age the age gap, like, being four years younger, you kind of, like, you know, they're 18, I'm, like, a, you know, like, 14-year-old kind of wondering, like, what's happening and trying to, like, get in on everything. And so you're, until we were all kind of, like, 18 and over, it, it felt like a little bit of me trying to catch up all the time. And then now it's, yeah, we're, we're pretty close. Oh, yeah. That age stuff uh, completely goes out the window once you're past, like, 20, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. 25, then it's like, yeah, you're all... You're all equally aged. You're equally aged. You're all equally wizened. You've all been kicked in the teeth by life enough. <laughs> Precisely. Um, okay, this is, this is interesting. The reason I'm asking that to start off with is because uh, your choice of book for today is... So, Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim by David Sedaris, who is also Greek. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's, whose dad is Greek. Yes, correct. Yeah, see, he, he feels my pain. That's what I mean. It's hilarious you're picking this straight away with the guy whose dad is Greek. Um, and the tight-knit family. So that's why I was interested hearing you saying that about your uh, your siblings and stuff. So for people who don't know, David Sadar is a very famous SAS for The New Yorker, is it? Correct. And he's brought out a bunch of different 
collections of his short stories over the years. Mm. Very funny. Uh, so yeah, it's a collection of essentially kind of long form essays, I guess. You kind of only, like they're not long, but they're not super short either. They're varying length. I know I was like, I, I, I mean, like I mentioned to you before we recorded, I, I wasn't sure if I was throwing you like a curveball by picking a collection of stories like this, but I do, I do really love Sidaris. I think he's just got, I don't know if you've read much of him, but he's just got the most, I think like the most distinctive tone of any writer that, that, that's writing kind of in this style today, like you could definitely pick up a Sidaris essay or a story like anonymously and read it and be pretty confident that you're reading something by David Sidaris, which I think is a really impressive tra- trait. Oh, 100%. Like, as in even the way, uh, yeah, he's hilarious. And of course, bro, he's Greek. I've got I to gotta keep up with the other Greeks who are in the, in the scene, in the book that's scene. It. Uh, that's so, yeah, well, actually, so part of that, you, so you, like you said, you... Um, you're a writer now, full-time, writing freelance for a lot of different mm. sort of places. Is that right? Yeah. So I've been freelance for about maybe five years now, mostly as a writer and kind of working a little bit in TV. But, yeah, basically I just write for like a bunch of different websites um, and like I kind of freelance regularly for Sydney Morning Herald and I kind of yeah write all over the place at enough regular gigs to kind of keep me afloat, which is yeah, I mean, it was it was all going swimmingly until COVID. That's a that's a classic line right there. But yeah, so that's but like yeah, but I mean that's still pretty impressive though. You're you're living off the writing like that's 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 good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's like a it's a crazy lifestyle. And I remember like when I was going freelance, I like so many people told me not to do it, and I mean they're probably coming from a good place because like it is it's it's definitely hard, and it takes like at least I think two years of like serious groundwork to build up enough like I, get, I think the key to it is having enough contacts and stuff that if something falls over something regular which does happen a lot that you can kind of like tap someone to fill that hole and that's happened to me like a few times where I've had regular stuff that you know has been going so well for like a year and then suddenly it's gone and then if you can't kind of lean on someone to fill that gap then you, you find yourself in trouble yeah it's funny how no one ever realizes the two sides of any of this kind of stuff which is like obviously the creative writing side but then the other huge part of it, which is just the connections and the people and knowing who to talk to and stuff like that. Oh, it's seriously, man. Like I was thinking about this this morning in the shower, actually. Like sometimes I feel like it's it's kind of like uncool or like it sounds a bit gross to talk about, you know, hustling. I think the word hustle has kind of been like I don't know, taken over by entrepreneurs and it's, and it's got like a bad connotation. But if I was to look back at what I've kind of, the stuff I've been able to do or the way I've been able to stay afloat, I reckon it might, my ability to like hustle or, co- or like just my contact list has been invaluable to me just in terms of like the opportunities I've been able to, you know, I don't know, get because of just like relationships. And yeah, sometimes it makes me feel like, oh, is that a gross thing to say? Because like it makes you sound like this, you know, I don't know, used car salesman, but it's just a reality, I think, especially today. Oh, mate, 100%. God, look at these luxury fat cats with their no need for relationships because they've got some kicking back job. The rest of you, yeah, the only way you're going to get anywhere is by knowing people and then being able to hit them up. I was going to say, did you study um, journalism or something like that? Yeah, I studied journalism down here. I did like a three-year bachelor degree. It was weird. I don't actually know if I would do it, like if I had my time again, if I would do it because it was so geared towards like, you know, when people think of journalism, they think of like hard-hitting news and stuff like that and I was never going to go into that. Like I've always been, all the writing I do is like 
you know, opinion and lifestyle and culture and relationships and stuff. Like I'm never like doing, you know, hard hitting news. And the, the course was very much geared towards that. But also like when I was at uni, I didn't really have much of an idea of what else I wanted to do. So I may as well spend my time going down there and eating schnitzels at the bar and, you know, going to shoots and stuff. That's at least 70% of what uni's about, in my opinion. Yeah, I think my, my, my hex debt is just schnitzel, schnitzel-related debt. Uh, and worth it, and worth every cent. <laughs> uh, 100%, we'll do it all over again. Yeah, yeah, so, so, did you, so you did want to do writing always, but you never really were sure exactly what kind. Um, so were you, like, big on writing in school as well, English and all that stuff, you were doing all that? Yeah, I was always kind of big on writing and... It's funny, I think, when, when you, like, do, you know, when you end up doing this stuff and, and people ask you, like, oh, yeah, so we always big on writing and you kind of, like, almost go back through your history and you try and look for these clues, like, and sometimes it feels like you're, you're trying to look for something that's not there. And, like, it wasn't like, I, like, I've never been someone who, like, keeps a journal or, you know, a diary or anything like that. Um, but there are definitely definitely signs that, you know, I was, I was keen on this type of thing. I used to make my own magazines. Like I was obsessed with football, like as in soccer. So I used to make my own soccer magazines and stuff. So the signs were there that I, I wanted to write. Oh, all right. So you did it. So like, did you write it? Like, okay, actually, let's go for right now at the moment. Is is the process of this article writing? Are you writing stuff every day? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So like, I work Monday, Tuesdays for a website called Icon, which is like a kind of like art, culture and stuff. So I, I tend to I kind of specialise in profiles. So I've been doing like, so for instance, tomorrow I have a Zoom with, uh, I don't know, do you know who Sasha Gray is? That name rings a bell, but no. She was kind of like the, she was kind of like the world's most famous porn star. And she's, and then she was in a movie called um, The Girlfriend Experience, which Steven Soderbergh directed. And she kind of like, and she was in Entourage. She kind of expanded out of the porn world and became this like cultural icon. And so... I'm doing like a profile on her and yeah. So I, I kind of like specialize in profiles now and that's like where I'm, I'm kind of spending most of my time, but yeah, so I'm writing for them like during the week and then I do a couple of days, like kind of working for Sydney morning Herald sometimes and, and then also still producing for channel seven. So yeah, I kind of break my weeks up like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's all part of right. The, the, the randomness every day. It's all, it's always jumping around every week's different, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. It's like a bit of a pinball machine right now. Yeah. Yeah. Variation. It makes it more fun like that. So, okay. So that's, so, so you, so the profile is basically an interview and then writing up something about someone. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So, I mean, hope like the ideal way to do it and the way I typically do it is like, I'll go and spend time with the person if it's, if they're, you know, based in Australia and like do the whole, like spend a, spend a day or two, like go to lunch uh, and try and kind of get more of a feel. Then obviously you can, you know, just in like a half hour chat or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I kind of drifted into that in the past, like maybe two years. It's good though. Cause like, you get to talk to some cool people and like learn about stuff you don't know anything about. So yeah, that's, it, it, and also it, it feeds very much into the way I then write. I think, I hope. Yeah. Have you had a, what's your, what's your wildest experience with some random person or famous, what's the most famous person? What's the most interesting one? If there's got to be a story you tell when you're like, oh, this thing. Is there one of those? Uh, yeah, I did like a, this one wasn't so much a profile, but there's two that like stand out to me. The first one was, I, got, I did this profile on this woman named Melanie Perkins and she's like, so she's the CEO of Canva. Do you know Canva? Yeah, love Canva. Yeah, like obviously this amazing company. She's like 30 years old. She's from Perth. She's a billionaire and stuff now. Um, and it's so weird because like I, I, at the time I was also 30 and I was so aware of the fact that 
I'm sitting opposite some of my own age and, and like just the vast difference in, in our, in like how things had panned out. You know, she was like CEO of this <laughs> unicorn company. She's like friends with Mark Zuckerberg and shit. And then I had like got the train in to see her, but like we, we were, they basically Canva had opened this new headquarters uh, in Surrey Hills in Sydney and so I'd kind of been tasked with doing like a, basically doing a story on this new amazing headquarters, but also doing a story on, on Melanie. And yeah, it was just a really weird experience because the Canva, like they're one of those companies, they're very much like a Silicon Valley company, like, you know, ping pong tables and shit. And like, you know, every, there's like a wellness room and all that type of stuff. You know, those like how that became like a popular thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and like the first person I met, um, as part of the story, like I, I did the chat with this guy and he was, he, his job was head of vibe at Canva, which I thought was just the most. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. I just was like, I don't know if I, if I love that or if I, if like even saying it out loud makes me cringe. <laughs> but so he, he was in charge of like all that type of stuff, you know, making sure they had like, you know, every day it was like full staff meal that everyone sat at a communal table and like, blah, blah, blah. And they basically were pushing hardcore on this whole like, you know, work culture, we're in an incredible place to work, you know, vibe, all that type of thing. And then the more time I spent there though, I was just like, this weirdly seems like the company with the least vibe I've ever been to in my whole life. Like it was so silent in there. And it was just like all these, you know, obviously like really super duper smart engineers, but yeah, it it just felt really strange. It felt like kind of going into one of those like I don't know, like those evil dictator layers. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure Canberra is not this, but it felt like one of those things where you go into like this company and there's like all this stuff happening behind the scenes that they don't want you to see. That was what it felt like. That, okay, that took a turn I didn't expect. All right, so it's just, just silence with the click clacking of keyboards and everyone yeah. walking around being quiet. I feel like the head of Vibe's got to get uh, lift his game. They've got to get a new head of yeah, Vibe exactly. by the sound of it. I know, it was, that was very much the thing. Though. And we'd walk around and he'd be like, oh yeah, and then people kind of look up and it was almost like they'd smile on cue. And I was like, this something's going on here, man. This feels like, like, you know, that I don't know if you've ever seen the Simpsons episode where that with that Scorpio guy. Do you remember that? Yeah, mate, best place to work ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was a that was a really weird story. And then probably the the other one that like sticks out, um, especially in terms of like most famous, but I did this really super awkward interview with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just like, oh, he's been he's so big in the news lately. What happened? What happened? Oh, Tell me, man. please. And I love I love Matthew McConaughey. Like, I mean, I think most people kind of are into Matthew McConaughey. But he was just, oh man, it was one of those things that, like, from the minute I turned up, I was like, this is going to be a shit show. I know it. So, like, obviously, you know, he's super famous, and so there was a million people like um, related to Matthew McConaughey. There, he's got like his US manager, his agent. He was there, like. He was out here because he was doing some, he was kind of flogging his whiskey, but also he'd done like a deal with some small cabin company. Anyway, so there's all these representatives there. And then the first thing I noticed was that we were dressed the same, like identical. You and Matt? Yes. He was wearing green chinos and brown boots and a denim shirt. And so was I. Hilarious. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so I was like, this is a great in. Um, so anyway, I sat down and it it was also being kind of filmed, this interview. Uh, and this is obviously pre-COVID time. So we were super, like, super tight in for this shot. Um, and we're basically our knees were touching. And so I sat down and then um, I made some gag about... Well, firstly, he introduced himself, like, last name only, which I thought was really weird. But I was like, okay, cool. So he's like, hey, I'm McConaughey. I was like, hey, I'm Thomas. And then we sat down and then I, I just like, it was so awkward. It was, it was so like hilarious that we were dressed the same that it couldn't not be mentioned. And so he, he 
I was like, oh, um, do you wake up every day and think I'm going to dress like Thomas Mitchell today? Kind of like alluding to the fact that obviously, you know, he's so much more famous than like I'm, I'm, he doesn't know who I am. And he just kind of like dead eyed me. And then he was like, we don't look that similar. And that was it. Like, no, and like nothing else. And then we just basically waited until like everyone started rolling. And then the interview started and that kind of just because it had, it had started on such a bum note, it kind of progressively went downhill. And he's just, like, really, I think, like, he, he takes himself super seriously. It was like interviewing his character from True Detective, but, like, he was the character. So I just couldn't, like, there's no light interplay of anything, no chat of, just super intense. Yeah, super intense. And he's kind of got that, like, weird American thing. I think this is an American thing, but, he like, he'll say stuff and he says it, like, he's kind of the first person to be like feeling those things of all time. So he'll say something that's pretty obvious, like, you know, uh, environmental, like the, you know, that watching our forests burn away is just, you know, not on. And he'll say something, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, for sure. But the way he delivers it is like, he's the first person to have this thought ever. And you kind of have to be like, oh my God, Matthew, or sorry, McConaughey. Like, you know, that is just, you've just blown my mind with that kind of statement. So yeah, it was a very, it was a very strange, like Hollywood interview. Yeah, yeah. I just, just didn't expect you, both the stories you tell, to be quite just honest. Let's put it that way. Let's be uh, brutally honest about your circumstances. No vibe and kind of intense. Yeah. I would have picked that from Matthew McConaughey, though. I've got to yeah. be honest. He's got a uh, possibly, I could imagine the Hollywood thing can result in a lack of self-awareness in certain ways. Let's put it that way. But yeah, uh, I don't know him, so he could be awesome. Yeah, I guess it's part of that whole, he really went, he had a rebrand, didn't he? He really became like... You know, the whole reconnaissance and everything. So I feel like, you know, back in the Fool's Gold day, days, it was like Matthew McConaughey was like the fun time guy with his shirt off. And now he's like serious actor mode. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to you got to roll the punches, get a bit older, age up, fix up your, like, I, I rate that it's as true. well. Like, you know, it's a, the flexibility in a career to go in a slightly different direction. It's it's good in that sense. I mean, uh, Ma- Matthew's killing it. So I don't think he needs any advice from me. I'm sure he's all right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, well, that's uh, those are some juicy uh, interviews. That's cool. That's that, that does add to the fun of like the job. I think when you get when yeah when you can do be stuff like that, that makes you be like yeah for sure makes you feel like it's all very legit. <laughs> if you put it that way, your job. You're like oh, I met Matthew McConaughey today. It's like oh okay cool. This guy's. I guess your your writing is a job. <laughs> Were your parents always supportive actually of the career? Uh, my mom. My, well, my mum's an art teacher, so she's, like, pretty chill. And she was kind of the type of person who didn't really even, wouldn't really even offer feedback on career. It was very much like a strict do whatever makes you happy type of situation. But my dad is a criminal lawyer. And so that, he was, like, just had the biggest heart on for me being a criminal lawyer. He, like, I did it as for work experience. And he just was, like, constantly trying to, like, extol the virtues of like the glamorous world of criminal law but then everything i saw from him i was like oh god i couldn't be less interested in being like morally bankrupt like i, I, I do get the the appeal of of criminal law but i just don't know if i could deal with some of the stuff they have to deal with like it's it's confronting oh yeah well you saw some like uh defending people who maybe you wouldn't want to defend yeah for sure like and i mean because he was and i think in like on reflection this is probably like it's going to be some kind of lapse in duty of care judgment. But he used to leave his, like, case files around and stuff. And so we would always be, like, reading through them. And, like, when you're young, to, to like, you know, that you're so curious about that stuff and you'd read, like, all these hectic crimes and be like, oh, my God, it was, like, so juicy. But 
it definitely made me think, you know, yeah, I don't know if I could, if I could like do that every day and kind of like process that and then have to like leave it behind when you go home or whatever. That's hilarious. Like that, that sounds like it's possibly illegal. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's probably going to get struck off now. Yeah. That's hilarious. But yeah, what, you went, then you went off to uni. Yeah. He, he didn't like, he was never like, never that like fussed about like, oh, you should, you know, you can't be doing this. He, but he, he definitely pushed me to do law. And then every so often, even now, like if I'm like, we're, I'm kind of most boring anecdote ever. We're currently trying to save to buy a house. And so he's, every time I'm like, oh, you know, if I make some complaint about money, he'll be like, well, if you've done law, but that's about the extent of it. Okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's actually pretty, pretty light for an ethnic dad. I've got to be honest. You're doing all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's always part of the certain age thing. You've got to start saving for the house and all that. Uh, so you're in a relationship? Yes. So yeah, married last year. Congratulations. See how you did Thank you very much. Yeah. Another Anglo or are you going back to the Greeks afterwards? No, no, no. Sticking with the Anglos so far. Ah. Traitor. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. Probably the, probably the biggest disappointment to my father was, you're not going to marry a Greek, are you crazy? He's like, that didn't you learn from me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, so married last year. It's a funny thing, like I feel like people, you say that to people and obviously the like automatic response is like, oh my God, congrats and stuff. And then people are like, oh, you know, has it changed or anything? It's such a like funny conversation getting married. There's like two or three like standard lines that everyone has and then the conversation just like hits a dead end. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's, uh, you know, what's marriage these days anyway, really? It's nothing. Like in terms of lifestyle change, it's very rare anyone's like getting married and moving in together, like as in gone are the days. I actually saw someone just making a joke about it the other day. It's like, what is with people? They live together for like eight years, they have a kid and then when they get married, they're like crying at seeing the other person walk down the aisle. It's like, man, you've seen them every day for eight years. <laughs> It's like, I feel, feel like that magic's gone a bit. You're just claiming it from all the people who actually had a reason to cry because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I've never seen this person. It's like, you just saw him yesterday. What are you crying about? <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, I must admit I did cry. So you've, you've pinned me there. But <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will... Look, I had that feeling from out your reaction. I was like, this guy <laughs> is definitely weeping as she came down the aisle. What a loser. <laughs> I can't believe you stitched me up. No, but I will add the disclaimer that because it was like, you know, once cancelled, twice postponed, I like to think it was also like accumulation of just like, oh, my God, thank fuck. We're doing it. It's here. Yeah. It was like a release of, you know, tension. You were blue balls in the tears. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, my, te- my tear ducts were full. Just building it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were ready to burst. They were hurting. Yeah, pretty much. I'm with you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, let's get, let's get back on the topic of the book as well as like actually hand-in-hand hand with that because it does seem very relevant. Uh, you've written a book. You've just brought it out. It's called Today I Fucked Up, and it's also a collection of short stories. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm currently looking at a picture of my own head on the cover, which is very confronting. It, it was kind of a strange situation. Like I, like I said before, COVID kind of, as it did with so many people, just like I was working and had like all this different stuff like that was working perfectly in, in tandem, and then it all got wiped away. And then I just kind of, this is, what, this is kind of why I think I was thinking about the contrast thing, like, an old boss of mine, she used to be my editor at a magazine I worked at. During COVID, she started a job with a publishing house with Simon and & Schuster. And I actually got sent the press release and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I'll send her a text to say congrats, which I did. And then she hit me back with, and there was no real ulterior motive to that text. But then she hit me back and she was like, thanks so much. And she's like, also, you know, do you want to have a chat next week about some ideas? Like, you know, let's have a Zoom meeting. And that was kind of like the start of it. And we basically had this Zoom meeting and we and we talked about, it was like, you know, smack bang in the middle of COVID when everyone was like kind of trying to recalibrate and figure out what, what was going on. It was all like a little bit scary and, and dark. And we basically just started talking about how everyone needed a laugh and, there had been this anecdote, which she had known of mine, um, a story that happened to me. Uh, and we, we kind of used that as a jumping off point to talk about, you know, a collection of stories where of people's kind of spectacular failures, because I guess it felt like a good time to <laughs> rejoice in each other's fuck ups as a distraction. So uh, you, so these are stories you collected. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of like, it starts with my own story and then, the, it kind of goes into other people's. I, I I would go, basically I had a few in the bank and then I put the call out once I, I started writing and, and I would kind of go and interview these people and, and interview them and re-interview them and interview other people who were involved in the story just to try and get as much like colour as possible. And then I would basically create the, I would, I would write the story up in first person and obviously, you know, changing some details and stuff. And then, yeah, and kind of create this world that they had shared with me and, it was, it was, yeah, it was almost like a very much a blending of all the different disciplines I've used in my career. Yeah, it totally is. Because like, the profiling sort of stuff, but then you're writing as well and all that. That sounds like fun. That would be actually kind of fun as well to do because you obviously you've got a lot of people engaging. So had you done much short story kind of writing before then? Uh, I'd written like a few, a few different things, but like not really. It, it was very much more like, you know, I, I wrote my my own story up, um, and it just kind of came naturally. And and I'd written like a few short stories here and there, but nothing like that really. But it, it almost kind of felt like more similar to writing a long form article in that you know I was just kind of like telling the story of this story, and so it didn't feel like I didn't find myself kind of like wringing my hands, being like, oh god, how do I write a short story? Because it was kind of all in there already. Well, yeah, you've had heaps of practice putting putting your thoughts down on paper, so I can understand that. Yeah, so it was cool, it was, and and like obviously, just like yeah, like you said, it was it was a fun experience because man, like hearing some of these stories, and you just think like there a few of them are like you know one one story is my brother, one story is my dad, 
Um, and then like there's some of them are people I've never met before, but just like when you hear about some of the stuff that happens to people, it's just like, fuck me. That's, that's good gear. Probably I'll give you some perspective as well, right? When you're like, fuck, this is the worst thing ever. And then you hear someone else, you're like, whoa, I am good. I'll take my thing three times before that. Yeah. <laughs> like... Oh, seriously. Some of them I'm just like, oof, how do you bounce back from that? But again, that's part of the, hopefully part of the appeal. You know, everyone's had a pretty shitty year. So if they can read this and be like, oh, wow, people can bounce back from even worse things then I'll be happy. By the, by the title, Today I Fucked Up, I'm guessing this is like s- stories of self-sabotage and shit like that? Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of self-sabotage and like some of the, yeah, it's, it's or just like a really unfortunate series of events. Yeah, it's kind of a mix and they, they spread out like, so it was funny trying to, when, when I first started writing and I did put the call out to people um, like, oh, you know, I'm on the hunt for these stories and it's funny because I got so many, people hitting me up with like, you know, everyone's got a story about like a single bad event that happened to them. You're like, you know, I crashed my car or or like I got fired from my job or whatever. And I got lots of funny like one-off events, but the the ones that like really worked are where it's kind of like a small mishap that like has this domino effect and like kickstarts a series of other mishaps and it all just kind of snowballs into this situation where you're like, how can this possibly be happening? And that they're, they're the ones that are like, that's, that's the goal. That is, that it's definitely adds to it more. Yeah. Because everyone, like, yeah, the ones where it, where it compounds and you're like, how did we even get here? How did we even get here? I know. And I, and I think that's what's like looping back to my selection for today. But obviously I, I was kind of, I read a lot of Sedaris um, when I was writing. I, I, I'm a big fan of his. And, and like I was kind of rereading um, Dress Your Family and Corduroy and Denim over the last month or so and he he does that so like masterfully like he just the way he builds and builds and like so many of his stories they start with something that is completely unrelated to where the story will end up but he'll he'll just like pick this point to like suck you in and then within like maybe you know three pages you're deep into the main part of the story but you're somewhere else entirely and and He's just kind of built it up that way. And I just, I love that. Yeah, his style of doing that, it's impressive. I think the, yeah, and it, like you said, it's very funny. Uh, I always felt like the one thing that he absolutely nails, because I've got him like on my ebook, so I'm always uh, highlighting quotes or sections that I rate just because I'm like, that's just so good. And almost universally, they're always a hilarious character-based joke, like just just nailing someone saying something just perfectly like where you like you can picture that person saying that thing in that scenario and it's just the funniest like insight into that i've always felt like that's his that's his fundamental gift if i was going to say out of everything he just knows how to put the right words into the character's mouths whether it's his mom or his dad or whoever where it's just like the funniest like it just nails it like it just yeah, it's something which I can't even believe. Like how, yeah, that, that for me that that's what I feel like when I read it. I'm like, it's such a gift. I, yeah, I, and I think that's what like I think you you're right. And I think that's what I love so much about him because I think like when I write, I I get the most joy out of writing when I feel like I'm nailing a character, um, and especially if that if that's someone else and you feel like you've really gotten in their head. And that to me is so good. And he just like he's he's like painfully good at it. No man, yeah, like I said, you're preaching the choir here. I 100 percent agree. It's just like the way it. Uh, I mean, that's that's what you aspire to, right? Is that like how long have you been reading Sidaris for? Yes, yeah, probably like well over ten years now. It's it's actually funny. Like he was probably the last the last show, the last like live event I went to before COVID. I think it's, he came out and did like a talking tour and. 
I went and saw him um, and yeah, he, he obviously was doing his thing, but yeah, he, I think maybe like, yeah, well over 10 years I've been kind of enjoying him. Right. What was he like live? Who he's talking to? Was he just reading from a recent book or was it something else? What was it? Uh, yeah, he kind of does like, he reads a few essays and he's got like a, I don't know if you've ever heard him talk. He's got like a really particular tone of voice, a super high pitched voice. Have you ever heard him speak? Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen one thing on um one of the yeah. late night shows. Yeah, he he was really good, but really, really funny. Um, he kind of did like a few readings and then does like a QA and a or whatever. But yeah, in that same way, like, He's someone that he talked about the fact that like every day still to this day, the last thing he does at night is like, you know, he writes like a full diary entry about what his day consisted of. So it doesn't really surprise me that his stories are, you know, kind of so rich with detail because he, he's got this, I guess, incredible backlog of information that he keeps and stuff, which I, yeah, I'm jealous of the ability. I just can't do something like that. I'm not disciplined enough, I think. I think I like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's why he's him, I guess. Um, but the, like, part of that though is funny because... I think I think the diff- and that's where like what you said before about how it goes in a completely different direction about some of his stories where it's the smallest thing it's the tiniest interaction and that's like and he's and he pulls so much out of that about like the human condition I guess which is like yeah I always find that so interesting with him as well like sometimes it's a big story but sometimes not much happens at all but just because the character's involved in what's happening he somehow manages to make it interesting you know what I mean I know and I guess that's yeah I mean you're right like that is the kind of He's like the next evolution. Sometimes I, I, will, I will try and like bank that in my mind and think like, you know, is there some like exchange that I've had in my day that I could ever turn into something in the way that he does? Because yeah, like you, know, like you said, there are, there are things that, like there's one in, in um, Dress Your Family in, in Corduroy and Denon where the story is essentially about where he gives this homeless guy like $2. That's, that, that's like the single act that the story is based around. Um, and, and, the, and the whole thing is, is like it feeds off that. And it's just like, wow, that's such an impressive skill to be able to just draw an entire, like, you know, dialogue and, and world out of that single event. He's just so observant, I think. And that's the, that's the thing I've always, like, admired in. Like, I, I think everything I've ever done or written, I've always been drawn to, like, the really hyper-accurate observations about stuff that we all experience. So, obviously, you know, this book is, like, oh, all these bad day disasters, but they're kind of relatable, like, you know, they're dating stuff or people at work or, you know, with your family or whatever. But, like, even so, like, my favourite TV show of all time probably is, like, the UK office. And if you kind of, like, measure that up against this type of stuff, like, again, I, I love that about Gervais, how he's able to kind of, like, he just, like, can zero in on this stuff that we all kind of notice, but he just, like, is able to deal with it in a way that is so funny and, and it's so relatable and so people are, like, you know, gravitate towards that. And I think Sadaris has the same thing. He, he picks up on everyday stuff and then just deals with it in a way that no one else can. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I think, and that, that is a gift which I think, you know, it's a lifetime polishing it and maintaining it and all that stuff. Do you ever do it? Like, do you ever feel like you, like from the observant point of view, I guess, because it's something which I'm always trying to work on to grasp a bit more. Do you do anything to like? I don't know. Practice that skill, the, that muscle. Like, because I know I've gone to cafes before and just been like, all right. What's going on around you? And just try to like be observant of the situation. Is that something you ever like try and do or not really? Yeah, I feel like I do. I feel like what I, I feel like I definitely do. And I've noticed it more, but I think the way I kind of like almost sift through is that I'll relay stuff to like, for instance, I have like a WhatsApp chat with my 
closest friends and I'll relay stuff that I notice every day and then kind of gauge their reaction. And if something, if something hits, like if, if they're like, Oh yeah, for sure. Then I'll kind of bank that as like, that's a moment that is obviously like, you know, we can all understand. And then if it's something where it doesn't really like land, I'll be like, right, that's, that's not, you know, what I think it may have been or whatever. So I feel like I, I, I'm a real, like less of like a, you know, pulling out my phone and writing notes or jotting something down and more of like a testing by committee type of writer. This guy's testing his material on his mates. Yeah, yeah, constantly. It's comedian 101, that stuff. <laughs> All right, okay. That's, yeah, well, I mean, that's also a good way of doing it just because like, that gives you that framework uh, to put it through. Yeah, the other, the other one I wanted to talk about quickly, um, so with David Zadaris' thing and your own book here, uh, being a collection of short stories, uh, do, you, do you read many short story collections? It's something which I'm always trying to do more of because I never seem to do it enough. Yeah, so it's something which I know. Do you read much collection short stories, or not really, or do you read do, do you read much at all? I actually don't even know. Yeah, uh, yes, I do read. I read a lot. So I have a book club actually, <laughs> which I feel like everyone does now. How many people are there? It's a small. It's small. It's a book club of three. So it's with um, these two friends of mine, a guy and a girl, um, and we kind of started it maybe two or three years ago. It was very much born out of just the fact that we were all into reading. And then actually we, I went to high school with them and we all kind of reconnected. Um, and yeah, it, it's basically an excuse to like hang out in a pub and like eat and drink and discuss the book. But since then, especially like the, my reading has like ramped up, but I've always read pretty consistently. And in terms of like short stories and stuff like that, I don't really, I don't feel like I discriminate. Like I, if, if I pick up a book and it's a collection of short stories, then I'll be into it. I, I probably predominantly read like novels, but I have, I've definitely read like a few short story collections. Yeah, no, there's definitely a, like I said, uh, I mean, Sidaris for me, I only actually read him in the last maybe two years or maybe three years. I finally actually, because I'd heard about him for years and years. I never got around to it. And then I just smashed through all of them. So I do, I do rate that. To be honest, his most recent, the more serious stuff he did recently, it's almost meditation's getting older and his family and there's a, it's a lot yeah. more heavy than the previous stuff. Calypso, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, Calypso. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good, but it was good in a different way. So I was like, I probably wouldn't introduce anyone using that because it's heavy. <laughs> it's very serious. Yeah, it's heavy compared to like everything before it is laugh out loud. That one was a lot more uh, intense. For sure. But I think this is true of lots of like humorists and essays and stuff. Like when you're starting out or when you're like, it's, it's easier to, to be impressive being funny, if that makes sense. Like I think, you know, making people laugh is probably more of an easier skill like to tackle than blowing people away when you're being serious and that's why I think someone like Sidaris you know he most of his early stuff and is you know pretty self-deprecating and and obviously he made his name off that but then yeah like you said definitely Calypso takes a different turn and I think it, it it's a harder skill to be both serious and you know memorable yeah it's interesting you're saying that because like I've always actually thought uh almost the opposite in a way, like as in, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, like he, what he did, what he does do is great, but like, I actually think being funny is a lot more difficult than being serious in a way, like being dramatic, making people feel stuff like sadness or whatever. It's like, all right, I'm just gonna mention this very sad thing that happened to me. If you feel things, you're probably gonna feel something from it. <laughs> but to make someone laugh, it's like you have to put the words in the exact right combination to kind of get people to capture that, like as in that, that, that the detail and the skill with that, the precision that's required. I've always felt like getting someone to laugh is harder than getting someone to cry, I guess, in some ways, if you know what I mean. 
That's my view. Yeah, that's that's funny. Like maybe maybe yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe I'm just saying that because I find that I find the reverse so much harder. Like I just have these flashbacks, man. Like when I was at uni, I did so I did journalism, but I did like a minor in creative writing, and so that means that we would have these creative writing classes, and people would have to read out stuff they wrote. And I just found that, like, when people were doing the serious stuff, and like, especially when you're in like a dramatic writing class, there are so many people doing like super heavy, you know, like just like pour, pouring it out on the table. And I just used to be like crin- cringing at this stuff and like wondering, you know, if like what I was sitting through. Whereas I felt like it, it, it was always easier to make people laugh. But maybe that's just my own experience. Like, but that's also like you're talking about. <laughs> A university creative writing, yeah, 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 taking yeah. themselves yeah. way too seriously, and <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. feel like anyone would be cringing at that. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, I've seen that before. I, I used to do an acting uh, thing and uh, like uh, this class I did it ages and ages ago. One of the people that was on did this monologue, and it, it was so full on. <laughs> That you're just sitting there afterwards and you're like, like, what was that? Like, is it just like the guy, like way past normal breaking down, like just completely overblown, hysteric dramatics. And obviously it was something so deeply personal, intense to him, but it was also just getting expressed so wildly over the top that you're sitting there being like, that was like, you're laughing. <laughs> you're, yeah. kind of, you're giving side eyes to your mates and being like, this is a, this is a, this is a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> It's like let's turn let's let's uh, turn it in there, fella. Let's bring it back down to eleven. I feel like there's a special kind of magic though uh, in any like whether it's like going to an acting class or doing creative writing. Whenever, whenever everyone's starting out, there's just something like amazing about the people that are attracted to that, and some of the moments you sit through. Like I, I think some of the most hilarious and like excruciating moments of my life have happened in like those type of environments, like creative writing classes, where it's just like. It attracts such a unique crowd and some people are just like so like earnest to a fault and, and you just get this like, uh, you, just, you just like, you, you don't see stuff like that anywhere else. People taking themselves like so seriously. It's incredible. Yeah. Let me tell you, uh, just go, go to enough open mics and you'll, uh, you'll see some of that. Don't you worry about that. That is a, it's a big part of the open mic circuit where you're sitting there being like, whoa, what is this? this yeah, is, it's-, it's a full pleasure. I used to, when, like, when I was, like, young, and I, I, I used to, like, when I first moved out of home, I lived with two of my friends. They're both actors, and so there was always actors at my house. And, like, they were just, some of the scenes, they would come block out. I was like, this is fucking amazing. You guys are so bad. But just take, taking it all so seriously. But you have to do that stuff. You have to do that stuff. <laughs> You're so bad. That's, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that would be kind of funny. Yeah, it's, but, yeah, no, so that, that, I guess that's, I can understand what you're saying. Like, but, yeah, no, I feel like, I just feel like making someone laugh is there's like when you just think about it, here's my dumbest measurement of it. There's like 30 good comedy movies and there's a hundred thousand good dramatic movies. Like in terms of the ratio, it's so much harder to nail comedy than it is to do anything dramatic. I always feel like in terms of anything like comedy, yes, it's exploded. You got stand-up comedians, but in terms of like, it's just never going to be the same amount. The big comedies are few and far between is how I kind of see it. Compared to dramatic, which is like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny though, because I, I still feel like, I mean, there's always that kind of debate, isn't there, about, you know, like whether it says that it's in film, like, no, you know, it's rare for a comedy to be nominated for like best picture. Um, and so there's still that, that weird divide where it's like comedy is kind of like, you know, the light stuff and, but the growing up stuff is, is drama and there's still a kind of strange divide, I think. 
and, and I think it exists across all different like mediums. Yeah, it's just all the uh, all the dramatic people upset. If you ask someone what what their favorite TV show is, or like what greatest TV show of all time, most, most people. I mean, this is speaking very specifically to the people I hang out with. But like, say, The Sopranos is kind of accepted as one of the greatest TV shows of all time. But I think Seinfeld is probably the greatest TV show of all time. I mean, you're going to get many people disagreeing, saying that's crazy. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean. But like, it's yeah, it's kind of like they're, they're still seen differently. Like, it's like it's like The Sopranos is more of a work of art than Seinfeld. But I, I see them the same. Yeah, I guess one's one's hitting. I guess the only thing is The Sopranos is hitting. It's it's richer. It's a thicker thing for me. Like the one I always think of is like. Seinfeld obviously never went down doing anything serious ever. And then you had something like Friends, let's say. This is a very 90s heavy reference sitcom period of the show. But um, that, they went down like the path of being more dramatic, trying to be all serious kind of, and it was pretty weak. But then I always found the one that balanced the two perfectly was Frasier from back in the day, one of my favorite shows that always balanced to be both kind of have heart in there as well as being oh, hilarious. Frasier, I feel like he's underappreciated. Ah, don't get me started, mate. Don't get me started. Frasier, so good. I actually, I read recently that there's like, this is kind of, I guess, a sad reality of living in 2021, but Kelsey Grammer is pushing for a reboot, which greatly concerns me. <laughs> Hilarious. But no, I, thought, I think Frasier, like, yeah, Frasier was kind of right there in the middle. Sadly, my brother taped over our, um, there was like, when we were young, there was a Frasier marathon on Foxtel and he taped over our home videos so he could tape Frasier. I'll never let him live it down. Like hours of childhood memories taped over by like reruns of Frasier. Even to this, even to this day though, he's like, he's like, nah, still, still worth it, man, still worth it. I'm like, fuck, we'll never get that back. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day when you taped over things, ah, what a time. I guess there's only one more thing I would want to ask actually before we like finish off, which is with Sidaris again in his book, one of the big things, as you actually mentioned for a moment there, was his self-deprecating style. The fact that he uh, takes a piss at himself, he kind of hates himself. That's a part of his whole thing, his neurotic, like paranoid, sort of uncomfortable thing. He's got like a, he, I think he actually does have a neurosis of some kind. Um, was that something you ever felt you related to in that sense? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not in the same way that like it's so, you know, kind of present in his writing. And, and like you said, I do think he suffers from like, OCD as well, something along those lines. Um, no, not so much. I think, I think I've more got, uh, I just feel like I'm, I'm to, a, to a fault, like, so in touch with every single emotion I have. And like my wife is forever telling me like that I just like feel too many things. And so I don't know if I necessarily like am stuck on, you know, whether it's like being self-deprecating or, or having like a kind of flawed relationship with myself. But when I do feel like that way, I can, I can really like dig into it. I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so across whatever I'm feeling, whatever mood I'm in. So I'm able to kind of, I guess, draw draw out no wonder you're crying at the wedding yeah exactly maybe it's maybe it's a result of being like you know you know how like people in our generation we've been like kind of fostered to believe we can kind of do anything maybe it's too much encouragement has has led me to be like too aware of everything i'm feeling that is yeah okay that's a that's a different vibe so i guess you 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 can appreciate when he writes about that kind of stuff from a uh like you don't have to relate to something to find it funny you're relating it to like obviously you would have elements of your own overthinking things sometimes maybe, but also you're kind of laughing at it, just seeing someone nailing that character again of his neuroticness and his awkwardness and overthinkingness and all that stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's why, like, hopefully I was able to kind of, you know, like the people in my book are all pretty different. And, but hopefully I was able to kind of like get in on them pretty quickly and, and get 
get their kind of tone right and stuff because I feel like I can, yeah, I can kind of relate to different types of people, different personalities and, and stuff. And so hopefully that kind of comes through. They, like you said, people need to laugh right now. On that note, I guess we should probably uh, tie it off. I guess the last thing I always like to ask is uh, do you feel like you've got f- appreciating new connections between you and Sidaris and his collected works? Yeah, I do, I think. Like... Like I said, I, I was reading a fair bit while I was writing and I I actually stopped myself because I was like, in some ways, you know, he he's so funny and, and so observant and does like such a master of his craft that it, it kind of felt wrong to be reading it while I was writing and, and not, you know, not trying to do what he's doing, but I guess in the same ballpark. So I, I kind of stepped away a little bit during the writing process, but I definitely think like, especially you know, in, in prepping for this, I, I was reading Sidaris and I've got people, a few people kind of reading my book now and, and some of the stuff that they've said to me, they've enjoyed my work, are things that I appreciate in him. And so that that's kind of felt cool. I like the feeling he I get from his writing and I hope people kind of get that from mine in some shape. Awesome. Well, look, I think that ties it off there. Thanks very much for being on the show. Um, Today I Fucked Up by Thomas Mitchell is available everywhere. Is that right? Uh, Yes, everywhere from March to yeah, everywhere. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for being on. Um, yeah, good luck with your writings from here. Uh, awesome. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. Nice. Right, cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.